I've been uh, really looking forward to this particular session. Um, I wanted to ask a question and get kind of a show of hands, but I want to wait until we have a little, you know, a few more people um, get in here. Somebody's horn is honking, maybe. <laughs> Yours is it too. Yeah, that's pretty loud. You, you. What happened was somebody sat down on their car keys and pressed the emergency button. That that happens. How how many people here have seen a Seder presentation? So that's good. That's a that's that's a large group, and a number of you haven't. And so this is going to be really good for you. I've seen a number of different uh, people from. I, I first saw Zola Levitt uh, when I was in seminary. I was going to a Baptist church, and they had Zola Levitt come out, and he gave a uh, Seder presentation. And then I've seen Arnold Fruchtenbaum give a uh, Seder presentation and a number of others. And I've done it for many years because it just so impacted me in my understanding of, of the Last Supper, understanding of, of the Exodus, and, and many, uh, many things like that. So um, Bill Katz contacted me. At a propitious time last summer when I was still uh, trying to fill up a couple of slots for uh, speakers at the conference, he is originally from Santa Fe, just up the road from Albuquerque. No, not from Albuquerque, not from New Mexico, from Argentina. And he is a a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ. Um, He grew up in a secular Jewish home, and then in April of 1980, he was invited to a volleyball game at an evangelical church, and they had a Bible study every week after the game, and from there he learned that Jesus wasn't Catholic. He was Jewish. And so he became a believer in Jesus in 1980, and then he's been involved uh, in missions to the Jewish people since 1985 in, in places like Chicago and South Florida and Argentina. Did you, did you study under Michael Rydelnik at, uh, at Moody? I studied under the great Dr. Lewis. Yeah, you, go, go over to Phil there. Was Rydelnik there when you were there? No. no. He, he, yeah, he was because he graduated seminary two years after me. So he was probably still working with Ariel or with – so anyhow, he, um, he graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 1990 with a B.A. in Jewish and Modern Israel Studies and then got his M.A. at the School of World Missions in Fuller Seminary. Please forgive me. <laughs> you might have I'm not, to. I'm not worthy. You, I'm not worthy. You, you, might, no, have, you might have to do penance, some Hail Marys or something like that. So he's been involved with Chosen People Ministry since uh, the year 2000 and is now with, on staff with their church ministries department. His plans are to move. He was going to move to South Florida, but in the providence of God, he's moving to Houston uh, this fall, and is going to be working with the uh, with Jewish population in in Texas and the Hispanic speaking Spanish speaking uh, Jewish population uh, here in the Houston area and and in South Texas. So uh, we're I was just having a great time visiting with him, talking to him about a number a uh, number of different things, and finding out that we have uh, mutual acquaintances and. Things like that. So I'm looking forward to this. So I'm going to turn it over to Bill. And um, Bill, why don't you just uh, open in prayer before you begin, if you would? Oh, wait a minute. You, we got to wire you up. Okay. Well, we'll do it the old, hold on. Wait, wait. We'll do, we'll, okay. It's going to do the old-fashioned way. Oh, okay. You're, you're showing out all 
now you're now you're on your cassette in your pocket. And uh, okay. Here and get this. All right. To move around. Okay, the next thing I, well, before I open in prayer. Okay, uh, can someone give me a hand because I need to get behind this. All right, thank you, sir. Here we go, very good. All right, let's open in prayer. Avinu, Malkeinu, our Father, our King. We thank you for this opportunity to be here rejoicing in you and uh, uh, scrutinizing the scriptures. And Lord, I feel in- intimidated by all these theological minds who went to far better theological institutions than me. But uh, I pray that, uh, uh, that we can learn something today, all of us. And uh, I pray that uh, you bless our time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, as I said, this is an honor. I feel intimidated. I won't deny it. Uh, uh, and, uh, but my, na- my actual name is Guillermo, Guillermo Katz, which kind of sounds weird, uh, you know, because it's a very Spanish name, you know, combined with a very Jewish name. Well, if you are a Jew born in Argentina, that makes perfect sense, you know, and that's where I was born. I was actually born in Santa Fe, Argentina. I was the product of uh, of a large uh, group of Jewish people who uh, moved to Argentina between 1860 and 1930. And uh, so I grew up there. And as Pastor said, I, I became a believer in 1980. And I've been a missionary with uh, uh, I've been a missionary since I was 19. I'm 50 right now. So. Uh, I guess it's been a while. So, but uh, listen, before I do anything, I wanna I wanna tell you about uh, our ministry. When you came in, you should have found on your chairs uh, a, a blue brochure like this. Does everybody have it? Okay, is there someone who doesn't have it? Raise your hand. Okay, Pastor Mondragon doesn't have it, so we'll. Uh, can you pass some down that way, please? Listen, I um. Uh, one thing that bothers me is to go around the world and hear this thing that we Jews are stingy, you know. <laughs> it really does. You know, I remember when I became a believer. I became a believer at a Plymouth Brethren, Plymouth Brethren Church. And uh, you know what was our, our uh, and it's very funny I'm here today because our, the textbook for Sunday school was Chafer's the- uh, Systematic Theology. Do you remember the old, those old black books? That's what they used for Sunday school, you know. And so uh, two weeks old in the Lord, they invite me to the holy dinner. Now, I just want you to understand, in Spanish, there's no difference between supper and dinner. So they invite me to the holy dinner. So I said, oh my God, these people are nice. They've known me for such a short time and they invite me to our dinner at the church. And on top of that, it's holy. Man, that's going to be some dinner. Imagine my disappointment when I go and, only, and the only thing I find is, uh, you know, uh, grape juice and bread. And I said, oh my God, you know, what did I get myself into? And then they said that we Jews are the stingy ones, you know. So um, anyway, I, uh, I want to destroy that uh, ill-gained reputation. And I want to give you something today. I want to give you a book we're very proud of. 
this book is called uh, Isaiah 53. This chapter will change your lives. We have produced this book in, I think, like eight languages already. Spanish, English, Hebrew, Russian, Polish, Finnish, Portuguese. And um, this is a book which uh, has an exposition of Isaiah 53. I think we will all agree that he's the queen of all messianic prophecies. And it was written by Mitch Glazer, the, uh, the president of our ministry. And it, has a, uh, a, it comes along with his testimony. So as he, he's, as, as he tells the story of how he became a believer, uh, he also exposes the truth of Isaiah 53. I, this has been a great book. We have a, a website uh, which we have used effectively to reach uh, Jewish people with the gospel. So I want to send it to all of you, or uh, since I'm moving to Texas, let me say in Texas, to, to, uh, to y'all, uh, you know. Uh, so, uh, and I want to send it for free. So if you fill out this uh, blue brochure, there's a white coupon inside, uh, and you give me that, uh, that white coupon, I'll be more than happy to send it to you for free. Okay, so at the end of the uh, the presentation, we'll have uh, there's a basket. We'll pass it around, or you can come over. Or I have some books as well. I have a table, so please fill it out because I want to be in touch. To be honest with you, we're coming to Houston with my wife again. This was uh, who who knows Mitch Glazer? Doesn't it? yeah? Some of you know Mitch. You know we were thinking, oh, we're gonna go to South Florida. Mitch said, you know, Houston. And uh, we said, wow, Houston. We don't know anybody in Houston. And, uh, but the Lord has been opening doors. I uh, found that I have a long-lost cousin uh, who lives right, on, you know, right in Mayerland. Those of you who are not from Houston, that's a Jewish area. Um, <laughs> Mayerland, you know, Polish really ain't, you know. So, um, so uh, she has opened her, uh, she, she has received us with open arms and many Christians are coming along saying, hey, we want to help, we want to be part of this. And I'm already, I envisage a ministry, you know, uh, which is going to be like a triangle, you know, and uh, that's going to be uh, uh, 45, you know, uh, 35 and I-10, you know, so covering basically Houston, Dallas, San Antonio and Austin and anything that is inside and you may say you know uh well texas and jewish people you know what kind of ministry you're gonna have well guess what last uh two weeks two sundays ago i was preaching in a place called longview which by the way was corrected i thought i was going to longview i was not going to longview i, I went to longview you know <laughs> because it is east texas and that's how they say it over there Okay, and guess what? There I am preparing everything, and a woman says, Hi, my name is Nancy, and guess what? I'm married to a Jewish man who does not believe in Jesus. And I said, Wow, where is he? Oh, he's right here. I said, Well, would you like to talk to him? Well, my mission to the Jewish people. What do you think I said? <laughs> sure. I said, Let's talk. And uh, we had the friendliest of conversations for a half hour. And after that, I gave him the Isaiah 53 book. After that, he said, well, look, I can't stay. I got to go. I got to, you know, I have to work. He works at a radio station. And, uh, you know, Jewish man from Massachusetts, from Boston. Uh, uh, his sister lives in, uh, in Israel. And uh, there I was, East Texas, 50 miles uh, uh, east of uh, Shreveport. And there I found an opportunity to share the gospel with a Jewish person. 
So uh, I think the Lord is showing us that you know that we we do have a ministry here. So uh, so uh, that's uh, that's something I wanted to share. Anyway, so uh, uh, you know usually I start this presentation by saying you know why should we care about this ancient uh, this ancient Jewish uh, uh, ceremony? And the fact is, as you all know, you know I don't need to explain this to you. Um, we are not here to glorify an ancient Jewish tradition, but we're here to see something that the Lord did the night that He was betrayed. You know, and uh, of course, you all know that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we take the cup, we take the bread. Interestingly enough, I was in uh, visiting a church with my wife. We had gone away Sunday night. We were at a church, and the preacher was saying, was talking about the Lord's Supper, and he said, uh, "Why did Jesus take the bread?" Why did Jesus take the cup? Good preacher. He repeated himself a couple of times. And, uh, you know, after the fourth time, he said, Why did Jesus take the bread? Why did Jesus take the cup? I just felt like saying, I know, let me tell you. (laughs) And so finally, when he gives the answer, he says, Well, Jesus Jesus took the bread and Jesus took the cup because they are... The two most common elements you can find at any table around the world. And that just felt like, you know, like going family feud on him, you know. (laughs) Logical answer. Very logical answer. Very wrong answer. Sometimes what is good is not right, you know. And and, and the thing is, uh, it's troubling to see how many people miss out. You know, on, on details, and uh, because they don't they don't understand that Jesus is Jewish and that he lived in a Jewish environment, and if we ex- if we study that, we we can understand so much about the things he did. You know, why did Jesus say he was the the light of the world? Well, people say light is good when you you know you see where you're going. No, 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 no. I'm serious. I mean, come on, God. Come on. You've heard this. You know, the light is light is good. You see where you're going. No, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world because everybody was preparing to celebrate Hanukkah. You know, and uh, of course, Hanukkah is the feast of lights. And, uh, and people celebrate the miracle of the light in the temple. You know, we had oil for only one day and yet the, light, uh, the flame burned for eight. For so he was saying, you guys are thinking about this miracle. Let me tell you about another greater much greater miracle, you know. And uh, so, I guess, um, I'm not saying anything new to you, but this is the kind of thing I find as I go and, and talk to people, and some pastors who, of course, don't uh, study the Bible as, as, as well as you do. So, but let me walk you through, so, uh, you know, what Passover means to me. So, I'm going to talk to you from the gut, as, you, as they say in America, you know. I'm going to talk to you as a Jew who believes in Jesus, who sits at a at a table, you know, with with my Jewish friends, my Jewish family, and, and see what they do, and, uh, you know, and, and, and see what I feel, you know, uh, as I see Jesus, as and they don't. So, of course, uh, let's, uh, let's just look at a few verses, a few verses on, you know, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke, uh, Luke 22, shall we? I think I might have a surprise letter for you. In John 13. Well, we'll see if, if you know that. Okay. Luke 22, verse 7. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. 
And the chief priests and the rabbis were, were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. And he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the multitude. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters, and you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. Alright. So, Passover begins a seventh day holiday called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during this time, we don't eat anything that contains leaven. Leaven, of course, is a symbol of sin. And so, we can't have anything in the house that contains leaven. And actually, there's a lot of discussion in the Talmud about what happens if an evil, you know, uh, gentle neighbor comes and drops a loaf of bread on your, you know, on your porch. What do you do? Well, I'm serious. This is in the Talmud, okay? What is worse, to leave it there for the seven days or to go and touch it and throw it away? You know, big discussion. So, I'm, I'm serious. This isn't the Talmud. I'm not making this up, okay? So, so uh, six weeks before Passover, the mother starts a very thorough cleaning of the house, okay? So, she goes around the house uh, and she throws away anything that contains leaven. You name it. Uh, brownies, cookies, bread, yeast, anything that contains leaven is thrown away because this is a holy convocation and we can't have anything in the house that contains leaven. In other words, we can't have anything in the house that represents sin. Very good. Of course, uh, I believe that uh, when, uh, when Jesus sent Peter and John, he sent them to check the house to make sure that uh, there was no leaven, that it had been properly cleaned. And once that has been done, then we're ready to celebrate the Passover Seder. Seder is a Hebrew word which means order, for the celebration of Passover follows a very strict order of service. This, serve, this order is recorded in a book called the Haggadah. That's a, liturg, a liturgical book. And, uh, and that's how we follow everything that happens during this three to four hour celebration. And there, there are a lot of things. There are uh, prayers and songs and, and, and reading, you know, you read from the Bible, you give explanations, there's of course a meal. So, uh, so everything you do has to be in this order that we find in the Haggadah. Um, of course, everything starts with the lighting of the candles, and this is the duty and the honor of the mother. So, rebellious candle. Hmm. Here we go. All right. So once she, she, once she lights the candles, she will say the following prayer. 
Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You have blessed us with your commandments and have given us the commandment of lighting the Passover candles. It seems to be very fitting that a woman lights these candles. For this reminds me that the Messiah, the light of the world, would not come from the seed of the man, but from the seed of the woman and the will of God. Just as the prophet Isaiah foretold, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Amen? Amen. Very good. So now, it's time to drink from uh, the first cup. During Passover, we drink four times from our cups, okay? And every cup has a special name. You know, something that I always tell in churches, which might not be very theological, is that, you know, during Passover, we drink, you know, during the Lord's Supper, we drink from the third cup, right? From the third cup. But there are actually four so, you know, in order to better understand why the third cup, we need to understand the other two. So, I don't mean to say that the, the third cup is the return of the Jedi, but, you know, <laughs> return of the Jedi makes much more sense if you've watched, you know, uh, uh, um, Star Wars and, uh, and Empire Strike Back. Uh, again, not very theological, but a very effective illustration. So, um, so anyway, so... We drink four times, and every cup has a special meaning and name. First cup is called the, the Kiddush cup, or the cup of sanctification. Then comes the second cup, the cup of plagues. And then comes the most important of them all, the third cup, the cup of redemption. And of course, this is the one that we use when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is the one that Jesus spoke about, okay, the one that comes after dinner. And then we have the fourth cup, the cup of praise. It is with the first cup, of course, that uh, we offer a special blessing, asking uh, God to sanctify this, uh, this opportunity. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei perich agafen. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us the fruit of the vine. Amen. So, the ceremony has started, and now it's time for the kids to come forward and to ask the four questions of Passover. These uh, questions will give us an opportunity to, uh, as parents, to tell the, the, the congregation at our, at our table, the meaning and the reason of Passover. These questions are in Hebrew and they are chanted. And the first one goes like this. Which means, why is this night different from all other nights? And we explain. This is what we do to remember what the Lord our God did for us. When He took us out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. See, the message of Passover is freedom, is liberation. 
See, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and we had a horrible life. In our desperation, we cried out to God, and He sent us a liberator. What was His name? Moses. That's right, not Charlton Heston. And uh, and He went to Yulbrenner. I mean, uh, He went to Pharaoh. He went to Pharaoh, and He said those famous words: "Let my people go." Unfortunately, Pharaoh didn't want to didn't want to let us go, and he hardened his heart. So God started sending the plagues: one, two, three, nothing; four, five, six, nothing; seven, eight, nine, nothing, until finally he decided to send a final and terrible plague. He decided to send the angel of death, and the Bible tell, tells us that God promised that on that night the angel of death would come upon the land of Egypt and kill El, the firstborn of every single family in Egypt. However, he decided to provide a way for Jewish people to be saved. And what, what was this way? Well, he told them, he told us to take a perfect, a spotless lamb, to sacrifice this, to sacrifice this lamb on the altar, and to apply the blood of those lambs to the doorposts of our, of our homes. First on top, and then on the sides. And so, when the angel of death came upon the land of Egypt that night, when he saw the blood of those lambs, he passed over the homes of the Jewish people. Thus, the name for the holiday. Very simple. Passover. Why? Because the angel of death passed over the homes of the Jewish people. And then they said that we Jews are complicated, you know. And why did he pass over? Because of the blood. The blood of a lamb. And just as my ancestors had life, because they applied the blood of those lambs to the doorposts of their homes, we today have eternal and abundant life if we apply the blood of Messiah Jesus to the doorposts of our hearts. Amen? Very good. Second question. Why is it that tonight, or no other nights, we eat pan with leaven? Uh, pan, sorry. I'm a Spanish speaker. Sometimes it comes out. You know, uh, we eat uh, bread with leaven. Why is it that tonight we eat, you know, uh, without chametz? We eat without, uh, we eat bread without leaven. And we explain. Our ancestors, in the rush to leave the land of Egypt, they had to take the dough, although it hadn't risen yet. A very interesting element at the Passover table is this called the Matzah Tosh. And it's very interesting because of this. It is one pouch. But inside this pouch, we have three compartments. And inside each compartment, we have a piece of unleavened bread. See? One, two, three. Isn't that interesting? They are three, but they're only one. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> oh, wait, but this is a Jewish thing. Right, 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 right. This is a Jewish thing. They are three by one. And the interesting thing, even more interestingly enough, is that at this time, their father removes the middle portion of this matzah tosh. So here we have unleavened bread, the middle portion. 
He recites a prayer and he breaks it into. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam amotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed art thou, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit, from, uh, bread from the earth. And we break it. Now, we put one piece aside, and, the, and to the other one, we give a special name. The Afi Komen. Let's say, let's try to say it all together, shall we? Afi Komen. Afikam, Afikomen, of course, you know, your theologians, it's not a, doesn't sound Hebrew. It is not Hebrew, it's Greek. And it means, he who comes later. And that's exactly what happens. At this time, we don't eat the Afikomen. Either we wrap it uh, inside a piece of cloth, or, you know, some more sophisticated Jewish homes, we have this little bag, we put it inside, Pastor... Uh, past, uh, pastor uh, uh, is very uh, sophisticated. That's why he gave me the afikomen. And yes, this means afikomen in Hebrew. And then we hide this somewhere in the house. Nobody in the house knows what the afikomen is. We don't need it now. For the time being, it remains broken hidden like we could say buried and we don't see it but we'll have to at the end of the service we'll have to bring it back or we won't be able to finish the service okay two more questions why is it that tonight we eat bitter herbs and the other one why do we dip the herbs in salty water well to explain this, let me show you. Probably the most. Um, 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 Pastor has this gorgeous. Where did you get this in in the Ukraine? You said. Yeah, it's in Ukraine. This is a seder plate. This is a seder plate, and as you can see, it's a plate. And inside this plate, we have different compartments. Inside each of these compartments, we have a different element and. Ev- I have to go this way. That's right. Okay, sorry about that. Inside this, uh, the marvels of technology. Uh, inside each compartment, we have something that we eat. You see, at pa- during Passover, we learn by, by hearing, we learn by reading, we learn by speaking, but we also learn by eating, you know, which started a very ancient tradition in Jewish people, you know. So... Um, <laughs> So uh, so anyway, uh, let me explain all the different elements at the Passover uh, on the in the Passover plate. First one is called carpas or greens, and uh, we usually use uh, uh, parsley or lettuce. Uh, these elements represent life. You know, in in the Middle East, anything that is green, uh, you know, where you see green, you know, you, you know there is water. If there is water. There is life. So green represents life. And before we eat this, uh, these herbs, we dip them in salty water, which reminds us of the tears that the Jewish people cried out in Egypt. And by doing this, we remember that life without redemption is a life of tears. The next element is going to be very interesting to us. This is fresh Ground 
horseradish. Okay? And uh, the interesting thing is that at this point, we need to eat a very nice scoop of this fresh ground horseradish. Any volunteers? <laughs> you know what happens when you eat this, right? Uh, it isn't a pleasant experience. <laughs> and interestingly enough, we find this in Scripture. Uh, go with me for a moment. Uh, this is where I think I'm going to surprise you. Go with me for a moment to John 13. Okay? John 13, where, where Jesus is going to announce that he will be betrayed. John 13, verse 21. Follow me. It says, When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' breast one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' breast, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus therefore answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. I challenge you to go to any commentary and find out why did Jesus use this bread to signal the one who was going to betray him. Very simple. Because even until today, what, what Jesus did this, what Jesus did was this. He took a piece of bread, he dipped it in the bitter herbs, and of course we don't know if it was horseradish. It was probably as disgusting as horseradish. <laughs> and you know what he said? Here. Yeah. I know what you're going to do. And this is how I feel about it. Bon appetit. I'm serious. You see, sometimes we, uh, we think of Jesus as this. I mean, Jesus, of course, was, was fully divine. But he was totally human too. You know, uh, sometimes I go into some churches. I'm sure that's not the case for any of your churches. And uh, I, I walk in and I see this picture of, of the, this person I call uh, Viking Jesus. Viking. Or, 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 or Sven Jesus. You know who I'm talking about. You know, baby blue eyes, perfect nose, long, you know, curly, you know, wavy, Vidal soon hair. Ba you know, and... And you say... You know, I'm not like him. Of course we're not. You know, but Jesus was human, just like us. And I can bet you, and he was Jewish, of course, you know. <laughs> he just had to look for the most disgusting thing he could find on the table. I mean, he was not going to, you know, of course he felt anger, like we do. So, John 13 for you, friends. 
John 13:20 for you friends. So uh, uh so that's that's what I think. Uh, now, the next element of course is very different. This is what we call the haroset. The ha- now, of course with a he, you know, those of you who know, you know, your biblical Hebrew, you know, haroset, you know, with disgust. And um this mixture is made with chopped apples, walnuts, uh, uh honey, uh cinnamon, and, uh, and grape juice. And I can assure you, this one is delicious, okay? And, um, and uh, the rabbis say that this mixture, because of the color, it reminds, it reminds us of the, the mixture, uh, the mortar that the Jewish people used to make bricks for Pharaoh. Uh, however, a lot of people say, you know, but th- this doesn't make any sense. How could it be that such a sweet mixture reminds us of such a bitter toil? You know, because we're supposed to eat it, of course. You know, also with a piece of bread. And the rabbis say that even the bitterest of life, the most horrible of all lives, is sweetened with the promise of redemption. And boy, I can tell you that's true. I mean, and I've seen it, in you've seen it, and I've seen it in the lives of so many Jewish people that have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. You know, it... And, and and this particularly became true in my life, or very real, the 6th of January of 2005. See, that day, I went for surgery. Now, of course, you know, I had misgivings about having surgery. I had never had surgery before. But the doctor said, don't worry. This is such a f- simple thing. I could do it with my eyes closed. <laughs> well, it seems he did. Because... <laughs> Because he left an artery open. And so I had in an internal hemorrhage, with de- which then became a hypovolemic shock, if you know what that is. You know, and, and so f- three hours later, found out uh, I was in the intensive care unit, you know, with lots of tubes. I looked like Robocop, you know, with all the tubes going inside me. And, 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 and the, the, the head of uh, the ER comes, uh, of the, I'm sorry, the ICU comes in and says, Mr. Katz, I, you know, I got good news and bad news. You know, the good news, the, the good news is that the only thing you have is a leak. Now, that doesn't sound bad. <laughs> a leak, you know. You know, it's just a leak. <laughs> the problem is you're leaking blood. And uh, the problem is your BP is 90 uh, BP for those younger ones. You know, that's blood pressure. Those of us who are 40 and up, you know, really know what that is. Uh, uh, your blood pressure is only 90 over 20. And we need to operate on you again. And to be honest with you, I don't know if you're going to make it through the surgery. And how do you react when you hear such a thing? You know, that you're going to die. You may die the next half hour. And, uh, you know, there you are, you know, and they prep you and they, you know, they, 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 they take you out on the corridor, you know, on the stretcher. And you have this kind of piece of cloth that is supposed to cover you, but it doesn't, you know. And there you are for everybody to see, you know, how, you know, how God brought you to this world, you know. And, and, and it's like... And you see the faces, you see, you know, the, the doctors and the nurses and the orderlies, you know, even the, the, the poor guys, you know, who sweep the floors. They look at you like, Mm-mm, you know, <laughs> there's something very wrong here, you know. And uh, 
you know, and I started praying. And I said, well, Lord, you know, 30, you know, uh, uh, 40 years old. You know, uh, sorry, I was uh, 37. No, wait, uh, 2005. I was 40. I was 40. Right, I was 40. I said, 40 years old. You know, if I make it, thank you. If I don't, I know that you know who I have believe, believed in. And you know what? The peace, the peace that I had at that time, I had never felt anything like that, you know? And, uh, and the peace and the quietness, and uh, that carried me through, you know, the surgery, through the 24 hours I was in coma after the surgery. Um, you know, I didn't get that because I was Jewish or because of anything I had done in my life uh, or anything I had obtained in my life. I had that because I had Jesus. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, Judaism is a wonderful religion. Oh boy, it's a beautiful religion. I mean, the more I learn about it, the liturgy, you know, the, the way that services are crafted, because they are crafted. You know, and I have visited synagogues all over uh, Eastern Europe. You know, I've been to the, the great synagogue in Budapest, which is the largest synagogue in the Western Hemisphere. You know, and I've been, to, and it's a wonderful religion, but you know what? It has no answers. It has no answers for what you do when you're dying. You know, what you do when you need to deal with addictions. What you need to, you know, what do you do when you have to deal with a, with a breakup in your family. So, uh, Jesus is the one who really sweetens my life and I'm sure all of yours. Okay, two more elements at the Passover table. One is the Hagiga. The Hagiga is an egg that we boiled in coffee or that sometimes we put over the flame. Uh, so it burns. The Hagiga is a symbol of grief for the Jewish people. A symbol of grief for it reminds us of the, the, old, the, the fact that we can no longer make sacrifices. As you know, in the year 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And uh, since that day, uh, we are not able to, uh, to make any more sacrifices. There's one last element which I don't have here because I want to make a point. The last element is called the Zoroa. The Zoroa is the shank bone of a lamb, which we also burn on the flame, and is of course also a sign of grief for the Jewish people, for it reminds us uh, that we can no longer, again, make sacrifices. Of course, Jesus did not have these two elements at his table, because the temple still existed. But you see, these two elements bring us to a very interesting question. Without the temple, without an altar, without the sacrifices, how can we be right with God? And that's the question that the rabbis had to deal with when the temple was destroyed. Okay, year 70 AD. So they got together at this famous council of Yavne, uh, which some people say was in Egypt, some people say was in Jaffa, right outside Tel Aviv. And, uh, and they said, well, what do we do now? Well, at that time, they laid the foundation for what today is the rule in Judaism. How can God forgive your sins? Well, basically by doing three things. With tefillin, you know, by doing prayers. With mitzvot, doing good deeds. And of course, by following halacha or halacha. 
you know, depends where you come from, uh, which, which is the oral law, the rabbinical law. The sad thing is that the rabbis had their, had heard the answer, the right answer. You see, and the right answer was uh, proclaimed by John, Yohanan, you know, uh, John the Baptist, Yohanan Hanavi, we could say, the prophet, because he was a prophet. And, and John said, when he saw Jesus, you know, when he was in the river Jordan, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, we no longer need lambs. We just need to accept the provision that God has sent for us, which is Jesus, the Messiah. Amen? Amen. Very good. Second cup. Now we come to the second cup. In Judaism, a full cup means complete joy. But our joy is not complete now. Oops, sorry. The reason why it's not complete is because, yes, we... Uh, we are celebrating that we were saved, but uh, that night there was a lot of suffering and pain and crying in the land of Egypt. So what we're going to do, is we're going to dip our fingers in the contents here, and we're going to spill ten ten drops. And as we spill those ten drops, we pronounce the name of each of the plagues. So it goes like this. Blood, locusts, boils, pestilence, until we come to the last one, death. So again, Passover is a night of happiness for the Jewish people. But even tonight, we cannot rejoice over the suffering of others. Okay, so again, and now will come the time uh, that for many Jewish people is the most important moment. Dinner. And... um, of course, Jesus had dinner that night. What did he have? Lamb, of course. You know, uh, in one of my trips, I had an opportunity to uh, go to Milan. And you know that in Milan, you have the Last Supper. Now, I, I have heard of, of it. I, I have seen it. But I had an opportunity to be right there. You know, and Da Vinci was a great painter. He didn't know a thing about the Bible. You know. So, and, and most people associate uh, the Last Supper with that picture. And it's so wrong. Number one, it's not the Last Supper, it's the Last Lunch. I mean, you look at the picture, oh, oh that's right, I have to get back. Uh, you look at the picture, and it's daylight. You know, second thing, you have these nice, you know, loaves of bread. They look like San Francisco sourdough, you know. And the last thing Jesus would have had. You know, it would have been that. Because, again, it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They would have not had any kind of bread like that. And the third thing, what did, what did Da Vinci paint was the protein? Does anybody remember? Fish. And actually, in the original painting, because he, he uh, actually painted some, uh, uh, how you call it, eels. Because he loved having eels for lunch. So again, Da Vinci didn't paint the Last Supper. Uh, and Da Vinci was an Italian and a Catholic. What's the main meal for Italians? Lunch. He was a Catholic, you know. So he, of course, what do Catholics have, you know, during Easter? Fish. So he didn't, again, he didn't paint uh, the Last Supper, in my opinion. He painted the last 
Catholic, Italian, uh, you know, uh, lunch, something like that. So, uh, so you know, I, and then he paints Jesus, you know, uh, sitting, you know, nice chairs. Jesus did not, Je, neither Jesus nor the apostles sat at chairs. You know, one of the questions is, why tonight do we recline? And uh, the reason is that Jesus reclined with the apostles. They, they did not sit at chair, you know, on chairs. They actually reclined over pillows. And that's why sometimes we have pillows on, uh, on, on, on a couple of chairs at the Passover table. But, uh, again, he had, uh, they had dinner. And the dinner, of course, was the lamb that had been sacrificed uh, for that household. And after dinner, of course, comes the part that we are really interested in. See, for this time, for after dinner, even until today, it is time to drink from the third cup, the cup of redemption. That's how it's called. However, the service cannot go on, for something is missing. Something that at the very beginning was broken, was buried, and now we need to bring it back. Does anybody remember the name? The Afrikomen. So all the kids get up and they roam around the house looking for the Afrikomen. Now, of course, only one will find it. There we go. And I'm coming back. Yes. (laughs) And uh, so the the Afrikomen is returned to the father who will now break it again, this time in little pieces. Each person at the table receives a piece like this. And this piece of Afikomen is taken along with the third cup, the cup of redemption. Now, brothers and sisters, doesn't this look familiar? Well, it should. This is the, you see, for this is the origin of the Lord's Supper. Even until today. Today, and uh, let me remind you, Passover is April 22 through the 29th. Millions of Jewish people around the world, even in the cities where you live, even in your neighborhoods, are going to be taking a piece of bread and a cup to remember the body and the blood of those Passover lambs. And of course, we can see Jesus very clearly in the Afikomen, which is uh, without leaven, the symbol of a nature without sin. Okay? And, uh, and I can see, Je- I can see Jesus in many other ways. First of all, the matzah is supposed to be pierced. And of course, we know that, uh, Zechariah 12 says that when Jesus comes back, the Jewish people will look at him and they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. And, and again, interestingly enough, for reasons we don't know, the matzah must be, uh, uh, must be, uh, with stripes. Uh, and uh, we know that Isaiah said he was um, striped uh, by his stripes we are healed. Thank you. You know, but um, but I can see Jesus not only in the Afikomen, but in the Matzatosh as well. Do you remember this bag containing three pieces of unleavened bread? There's a lot of discussion amongst the rabbis about the meaning of this pouch, about the meaning of this mysterious three in one. See, some say it reminds us of the three patriarchs of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Others say it reminds us of uh, the three pillars of Judaism. Uh, as I said before, uh, 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 prayers, uh, good deeds, and the oral law. But again, why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Finally, others say that it reminds us of the three divisions of worship in the ancient kingdom of Israel. Uh, the priests, the Levites, and the Jewish people. But again, why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Nobody knows. And none of these answers, as good as they seem, is not the right one. But you see, why do we keep looking for answers? Why don't we accept the answer that we find in the very design of the Matzatosh? You see, in it we have three parts, but they are only one. They are a unity. And a word which I'm sure you all know means unity in Hebrew is the word Echad. And this word was used by God when speaking to the Jewish people in Deuteronomy 6.4. He said, Shema Israel Adonai Elohim Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is. But the word used here to say one is the word Echad, which means unity. And it is the Father who during Passover removes the middle portion of this Echad, of this unity. This one becomes visible, while the other two remain invisible. And I think this speaks very clearly of the unity of one God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But why is the middle matzah broken, buried, and then brought back? Well, very simple, my friends. Because Jesus was broken in his death, buried, and brought back to life. And it was so this very bread, broken, buried, and then brought back, that, it, that, that even Jewish people take nowadays. That Jesus took that night, and rather than just going, you know, with the flow, with what they were expecting him to say, he said, this is my body, which is broken for all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, he took the third cup, the cup of redemption. How do we know it is the cup of redemption? Very simple. You, you are all pastors, and you have all read the, the text. And after, after they had dinner, he took the cup. Even until today, 2016, the cup that comes after dinner is the cup of redemption. And it was the, this cup that he said, of course, this is my blood which is shed for all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, I don't want to sound like that preacher who repeated himself so many times. But isn't it, isn't it amazing that every year Jewish people take a piece of, of bread and a, and a cup to remember the body and the blood of those Passover and I think we need to praise God because we also partake from the bread 
we also partake from the cup, but to remember our Passover lamb, Jesus the Messiah. Amen? And of course, because we do that, we can part fully partake from the last cup, the cup of praise. And I think this is the cup that Jesus referred to when he said, uh, you know, well, when he said, I will not drink from this cup again until I come in the kingdom. I think he was referring to, he didn't, he didn't get to drink this cup, I think, I believe, because he was arrested. So uh, we will all partake of this cup. The cup of Hallel, by the way. Hallel is a Hebrew word. comes from the word Hallelujah. It's the root of Hallelujah. Um, and, and this is the cup of praise. But there is one final cup. One final cup. And it's a very special cup. It has to be different. It has to be better. This is the cup of praise. And uh, if you are six at the table, you need to leave an empty, a seventh spot. If you are four, same thing. You always need to leave an empty spot. And this is for the prophet Elijah. And so, the last thing that happens during, the Pas during Passover is that uh, the kids get up. They go to the door. They open it wide. And they yell at the top of their lungs three times. Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. Hoping that the prophet will be there. But why? Well, very simple. In the book of the prophet Zechariah, we find that uh, it says that before Messiah comes, he would be uh, preceded by the return of the prophet Elijah. So that's why they go to the door, they do that, and they hope that the prophet will be there, will come in, and take his place at the table to announce the Messiah has finally come. Well, I know that Elijah has already returned. You see, for when Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, he said very clearly, and if you care to accept him, he's that Elijah who was to come. You see, the prophet, the forerunner, has already come. And so has Messiah. I hope that uh, this will, every time you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you remember that uh, there are millions of Jewish people around the world, doing the very same thing. Taking a piece of bread, take, taking the cup, and to pray for them. You know, we're, many of our friends and family here. There we go. Thank you. And it's just so frustrating. I just want you to see that. It's just so frustrating. So close, so close, and yet so far. So, uh, I hope that you will pray for the Jewish people. And I want you to think about this. You know, Jesus left us a very human thing to remember a very divine thing. See, he left us the most human of things. A table. 
Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought about that? A table is the center, the center of the life of a family. So much happens around that table. When you sit down for breakfast, you find out what's going on in your family. You know, a, a dinner. You know, you, 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 you find out what happened during the day. What's going on in the life of your kids, in the life of your spouse. When, um, when that evil prince uh, comes to take away your princess. <laughs> Here, young man, let's have a cup of coffee. Let's talk about who you are. You know, when there's something to grieve about, you know, something to cry about, it's again that table with a cup of tea. When there's something to celebrate, there's some food at that table. And the family always gathers around that table. You know, and I don't know what table you've got. Uh, Maybe it's a very cheap pine table. Maybe it's a more sophisticated table you got at the Ikea. You know, maybe it's a very expensive oak table that you got from your grandmother. But let me tell you something. This is a much more expensive table because the price was much higher. The price was paid with blood and with the life of our Savior. So, I hope you remember that because... As a family of God, we gather around this table. And again, I hope that you will pray for my people. I will hope that, I hope that you will remember our people. This table, think about this. And you, you all know the history of Israel. I don't need to teach you. All the things that happened from the Exodus till Jesus' time. Israel could have easily disappeared in the sands of time. You know, like any other, any other of those, uh, you know, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, you know, the Phoenicians. They all could have, you know, such a small group of people. And yet, you know, we were, we went to wars, we went to exile, we were Oppressed by different, you know, by, oh boy, so many, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the, uh, uh, let's see, the Romans, you know, the Greeks. And yet, Jewish people continued celebrating this memorial. So when the time came, it was waiting for Jesus. What would happen if the Jewish people had disappeared? No Jewish people. No Passover, no Lord's Supper, no Messiah. And uh, I know that, again, I don't have to preach to this choir about this, but uh, so many people say that there isn't a future for the Jewish people. So many people say there's no plan for the Jewish people. Uh, As a friend of mine says, if you believe that, you're violating the Scriptures. Uh, so, um, I always pray that uh, the world of Zechariah 12 comes soon. Because we will all, I truly believe that all Israel will be saved. And it will be saved because, again, you know, 
when Jesus comes back, it won't be by TV, it won't be by radio, we'll see it here. And when Jewish people see that, boy, it won't even be faith, because you'll be seeing it with your own eyes. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for uh, for what, what for his work. Thank you for preserving the Jewish people so we could have Passover, we could have the Lord's Supper, we could have a savior. And I pray that uh, Jewish people will open their eyes and see that Messiah has come. And I pray that uh, this uh, this last week of April, as millions of Jewish people celebrate Passover, I pray that you will be at work in the hearts of some of them or many of them and that they will see that Jesus is their Passover lamb as well. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, we got a few minutes. So uh, let me again remind you, if you haven't filled it out, would you? Uh, we want to be in touch with you. We want to... Uh, we want to encourage you. We want to encourage your people to get involved in Jewish missions. And and uh, if you fill this out, that will enable us to send you our newsletter, our prayer letter, and the chosen people, which is our ministry's uh, our newsletter. So, okay, we may have a few questions. Uh, questions related to any number of things that you might want to ask them related to Jewish missions, related to uh, Passover. What he just said. I'll start here with Mike, and then I'll. Yes, sir. Um, earlier you said that the response to the loss of the temple sacrifices was, I think what you meant was it was codified at Yavne, but didn't that actually start after the destruction of the first temple? Because they had to address this question when the first temple was destroyed. So what did they... That's the rise of the rabbis and so forth. Correct. Well, and and, and of course, the rise of the synagogue is an an exilic event, something that happens as a result of the exile. The fact is, it became... It was like a provisional thing. Because you see in the times of Jesus that we come back to the whole... You know, we come, they come back to the sacrificial system. But when it became a law, and actually the standard, and it became the standard, I do believe that, you know, during the exile, uh, it was, it wasn't the standard, it was a provision, you know, it was a temporary thing, but it became the standard, uh, at Yavne. Yeah. Was it Yavne or Yamnia? Well, that, that's the question. As, as I said, I studied under the great Dr. Louis Goldberg, and he always called it Yavne. And, uh, and he, he was of the, of, of the idea that uh, this referred to, this was uh, outside Jaffa in Tel Aviv. Other, I, I've read, of course, other, other authors who believe that it was uh, used the name that you have just used, and that it was in Egypt. Where they I thought, I thought Yamni, I've seen Yamni identified as being in Israel. Yeah, but other people believe they was in Egypt. Right, right. Where they escaped as a result of the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, so that's where actually the first big galut, the word galut is, is referred to. Galut is the diaspora, which interestingly enough could have been used, of course, for the exile in Babylon. But galut was, uh, was used after 
you know, referring to the 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 Galut, that, the diaspora that came as a result of the destruction of Jerusalem. Anybody else? Okay, here we go. Yeah, I have first a excuse me. I have first a comment and then a question. Um, you mentioned uh, Da Vinci in the Last Supper. I was reading recently in some medieval uh, Italian rabbis, and according to their tradition, uh, one of the last things Jesus said at the Last Supper is, "Everybody, get on the side of the table, or you won't make it into the picture." Um, <laughs> That's a good one. That's a very good one. I like it. Uh, my question is, I was reading recently about uh, the red heifer preaching yeah. through Hebrews, um, and um, allegedly there was a red heifer found uh, in 2000. It didn't make it. Another in 2004 didn't make it. Uh, last year, there was a red heifer found in uh, Lakewood, New Jersey. Uh, it was two years old, born on Passover. Uh, it was two years old last April. Uh, the man gifted it to um, the nation of Israel. But since that time, I've read nothing about it. So I don't know if it was rejected or they're keeping it quiet for security reasons. I was just wondering if you knew anything about that. Absolutely know nothing about that. I don't know anything about blood moons either. So, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I was invited. I, was, I, got a call from, I got a call from a church in Brooklyn, of all places. I mean, I do want to go and preach at a church in Brooklyn. I said, would you please come and do a conference on the, on the black moons? I said, I'll be happy to do that, uh, to go and say that the Bible has nothing to say about that. So, they didn't invite me. Oh, well. Oh, well. Yes, over there. Two ladies. Yes. This is a Passover in Jesus' day question. Um, on the evening of the 14th, the family ate the, you know, the, the sacrifice. The 14th of Nisan, yeah. Right. My question is, where was that sa- where was that lamb sacrifice? Did the family head sacrifice that, or did they all go to the temple? They went to, in my opinion, they went to the temple. Okay. In my opinion, they went to the temple. Each each household went to the temple. And, of course, they didn't go to the Holy of Holies, uh, but they did it probably in the outside courtyard. And, by and the way, if, if you ever do a, I, I, if you ever go to Israel and you have a chance to do it's, – it's, it's, I know it's freaky, but there's a great, great excursion called uh, the Hezekiah's Tunnel, which ends at the Pool of Siloam. And interestingly enough, the, if you can follow your Bible at, at the Feast of Tabernacles in um, – John 7, uh, um, it, it, if you can follow that to, the, to where the, where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is, you will find that was the, you know, the, the journey of the, uh, of the, uh, of the rabbis and, of the, not the rabbis, the priests for the feast, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Yes. Um, first of all, Chosen People Ministries is my favorite ministry, so uh, I am so glad to know that you're going to be here in Houston, so I need your contact information, and then I was just curious where you're going to celebrate Purim and uh, Passover. Well, Passover at home, Purim, I, uh, when is Purim? Um, next Thursday. Yeah, next Thursday I'm going to be celebrating it with 600 people in, uh, in uh, Douglasville, Georgia. During the Passover, yeah, interestingly enough, Purim and Passover came the same in the same day. Uh, no, I mean uh, Purim came at the same time as Easter. That's what yeah. I meant to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, by the way, I'm here preaching uh, until tomorrow. Today I have to preach in 
uh, a major metropolis here in Texas called George West. If you don't know what that is, you just go to Three Rivers on I-10, make a left, and you just go to the middle of nowhere, and that's where George West is. So, but uh, that's what I'm preaching. So, and then I'm going to Georgia for uh, a whole week. I want yes. to comment on, on on your question over here about when did they when the families uh, had the sacrifice. They had an ex- I just learned learned this this last week, but um, yeah, they had an extremely efficient system. The le- the the priests had. They had they had 500 priests that were sacrificing yeah. at the, simultaneously, yeah. because there were thousands and thousands of, of Jews. What Josephus says, what I never can remember the number, like three quarter of a million, yep. or more, that came into Jerusalem during Passover, and they had to sacrifice all of those. So it really started probably about nine in the morning, and went till four or five in the afternoon. Though um, Exodus says it's supposed to be done at twilight. But they had too many people, so they, it would have gone on uh, all day long. But it was it was a mass operation. Henry Ford did not invent the assembly line, or um, you know, specialty of, of labor, what do they call that. But uh, division of labor, uh, the Levites did that a long time ago. Let me build on that, and I, I also want to now something that you understand. Is this is a very at that time was a very patriotic date. This was our you know our our Boston Tea Party. This is when we, you know, when we, you know, we finally got rid of the, uh, uh, of, of the Egyptians. So, uh, and three quarters of a million would be in Jerusalem at that time. So that's why the Romans probably had reinforced the area with, uh, with soldiers and with uh, legions. And uh, that's why everything is prepared for, you know, for Jesus' trial. I mean, everybody was, everybody who was anybody was there because if there was a time when the could be a rebellion, you know, this was the time. So, yes. The the Seder ritual as you've presented it, do you have any idea when that came into being as you far know, as You know, it's something, I uh, I have a good friend of mine, Stuart Dowerman, who is a, 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 he's really a scholar, and he has done his best because, see, the question is, where did, the, you know, you know, where did this come from? I mean, particularly the Matsutosh. It's a mystery in time. The rabbis can't say it. They actually, they don't. They don't know. Uh, uh, so I do believe that this was probably the, uh, you know, uh, we will never know. Well, 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 we'll find out. You know, we'll ask the Lord. You know, when did the matzah come through? You know, but um, but uh, but definitely, uh, uh, we don't know. You would possibly say it was years though before Christ. I would say so. Okay. I would say so, because so, it makes sense. I mean, uh, and I know we don't make theology from it makes sense. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but, um, but it, it, it just fits with the whole ritual. I mean, you mean to tell me that after Jesus' de- death, after the, the, you know, the temple was destroyed, you mean to tell me, some people say, oh, it was a, a Jewish believers, you know, after... It, that doesn't make sense because it was too short. Because this this is mainstream. This is not something that maybe one sect of Judaism does. This is mainstream Judaism. So I would imagine it happened before Jesus. So they would have been doing this then, going through that ritual before the yeah. actual event took place. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, yes. It's almost like there's a plan, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. By the way, I don't see you completing the coupons. 
Do complete the cook. Good reminder. Okay, reminder. let's pass the, let's pass the, um, uh, can I? Yeah, I'm a, I, yeah, I'm in some ways I'm a Baptist, so let's pass this thing around. And again, you don't fill it out, you don't get any book, you know. You don't give me a chance to show you that we Jews are not stingy, so. Listen, I grew up in Argentina. If there is an anti-Semitic country, God. I mean, if you don't make fun of being Jewish, being Argentine, I don't know who. <laughs> yes, sir. A simple, simple question. Um, the cups is one, four per person or four for everybody? It's one set. You drink from your cup four times. You drink from your cup. Same cup. Okay, four, four times four each person. This is for show. Okay. Just to make it easier for people to understand. Okay. But again, it is a meal. It, this is the thing that we some people don't understand. It is a meal. You do have a cup from which you drink, you know. And um, you know, I, I'll tell you something funny. Uh, you know the uh, uh, Lubavitch, uh, Lubavitch Jews, right? The Chabadniks, people in black. Uh, they really take seriously the whole issue of a full cup means complete joy. So they, you know. <laughs> hey, full joy. Go for it. Let's go for it. You know, and uh, they're famous for really getting tipsy, uh, you know, at Passover. Louis Goldberg, actually, Dr. Louis Goldberg, who, who again is not with us anymore, he said there was no way. That, you know, he, he always com commented on the multitudes, you know, you know, and, and those movies about the passion of Christ were the multitudes, you know, uh, went to demand Jesus' death. Come on. This was like December 30, 31st, you know, and everybody had had four cups <laughs> plus whatever they had for meal, you know, to wash it down. So th this was a mob that was you know, I don't want to talk about the Chicago event, you know, because we're not doing politics here. But, um, but this was some, this was not the common people. The most common people was, were sleeping, you know, after such a meal. So, um, again, not me, Dr. Louis Goldberg, you know. Yes. Or, he does in Hebrew. And is there, uh, do the Messianic congregations here, Continue with bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah? Well, you're talking to the wrong person about this. And let me tell you why. I am not, and again, I'm not very messianic. Uh, I'm not. And uh, you know Olivier, you know that he's not. He's more annoying than me. <laughs> See, I'm an Argentine Jew. Olivier Melnick, our Northwest director, he's French. And on top of that, he's Jewish. Talk about annoying. I mean, talk about on your face. And, um, and you, oh, I told him, okay, you know, I'll tell him, I have told him that myself, so go ahead. But he's great. I mean, follow his blog. Uh, he, he has a great blog about uh, the new anti-Semitism. Fantastic speaker. Uh, great brother. That's why, you know. And, and, and he has a burden for, of course, the French Jews who have been so mistreated over time and have had to uh, 
have had to to pretty much escape from from France. But um, I'm a very churchy Jew, you know. I'm not very messianic, and and of course, you know, some of my brothers and sisters they 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 still do you know all the messianic ceremonies and the bar, mitz- bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and so forth. Uh, so they do it, you know. I'm, I'm I don't. So that's uh, that's where I stand. Again, uh, you know. My family, I went through hell with my family when I became a believer. I'm just so grateful to the people from church, that church, you know, that uh, hated anybody who wasn't a Plymouth Brethren. But they just love you if you were part of that congregation. That, you know, and that, that makes them genuine Plymouth Brethren, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and we learned that being Armenian was bad. You know, we learned that uh, post-trip was bad. Being a millennial, Sunday school. I'm telling you, Sunday school, 16 years old. We're learning this in Sunday school. But, oh boy, we had such a great Sunday school. We we had theology, you know. And, and everybody had that uh, black chafer, you know, systematic theology book. So, uh, it's really something. Anybody else, if we have time? Or we no, we're, we're about wrapped up. Um, okay. Well, I appreciate you very much, Bill, being able to come. We look forward to, since you're going to be in Houston, to an ongoing yes. uh, relationship here. That's uh, something uh, I'm excited about, looking forward to. And this was uh, this was just just tremendous. Every time I, I either go through this or I watch somebody take me through, I always learn something new, and it always opens up our eyes to the Jewish backgrounds of the New Testament, which is which is so important to to uh, understand in order to interpret interpret the scripture. Okay, we're going to take a break now. I'm going to close in prayer. We'll just take a quick break. I'm in, uh, I'm in one of the rooms uh, out in the back, so I have some books. If you're interested in more materials, please do come in. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, worship you along with what Bill has explained to us, and we're just thankful that so much in scripture and even things that were added uh, point to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's just, a, again, an indication of your sovereignty. We pray for this little break time. We, we can be refreshed and then be back in a little while for our last session this afternoon. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.